If you have your Bibles with you, I want to encourage you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Today's message is entitled Christmas Bonus. And uh, the Advent season, you know, runs through December, and of course then you get the new year, and here we are still celebrating Christmas, and, and I realize circumstances have kind of led us to do that. We were going to start a new series today, um, but I'm actually combining a Christmas message with the launch of this new series um, with the grace of giving. And I want to walk through uh, some things here just this last Friday Um, Two days ago, um, some folks might celebrate what's known as King's Day. Um, Maybe it's not a holiday you're familiar with, but uh, some might refer to it as Three King's Day or Epiphany. It's something that's celebrated on January 6th. And the word Epiphany actually means the manifestation or revelation. And Jesus was manifesting Himself or revealing Himself through his birth, and specifically with King's Day, we would look at him revealing himself to the Gentiles through these kings or the magi that came to give their gifts to Jesus. Now, I can remember when I was younger hearing the word epiphany for the very first time, and it wasn't somebody telling me it's some holiday that they celebrate. They were just talking kind of casually about something that they were going through, and all of a sudden they had an epiphany. And I thought, what does that mean? That's a fancy word. And basically they were saying is that they had some sort of uh, revelatory moment and um, just something clicked for them. And so I just think of that. But here's the thing. That word epiphany is actually something that is divine. It's divine. It's not just a happenstance, you know, thought that came to me. There's a divine component to the word epiphany. And it's a divine manifestation. You know, early celebrations of uh, Epiphany actually looked at different manifestations of Christ, whether it was Jesus' birth, whether it was the Magi that were coming to see Jesus and and give their gifts to Him. might even be Jesus' baptism later on in life. And uh, it even can include Jesus' first miracle, which was turning water into wine. Jesus revealing himself, manifesting himself in some manner. But popular view would look at King's Day with the Magi coming to see Jesus. Epiphany is celebrated 12 days after Christmas. And traditions vary as far as how people celebrate this day. Um, There's gift giving, maybe there's uh, nativity plays that families do, uh, stories of the three kings giving gifts rather than Santa Claus. And on the twelfth night, kids even will leave their shoes out with straw inside them, and then the next day they might find those shoes filled with gifts, and the straw is gone. Some folks even eat what's called king's cake. Have you ever heard of that before? Okay, and they'll put a little trinket inside these cupcakes, and, and the trinket actually can be a little baby Jesus, but when you're baking the cake, you put that in there, and then when you frost it, uh, you know, then you hand them out, and whoever has the, the, the little baby Jesus inside, they get to be the, the king or the queen for the day. Um, so just kind of a fun way there uh, to, to, to see that. You know, today some folks use Epiphany as a time frame in which they'll take down their Christmas 
decorations and store them for next year. And just kind of reading through uh, King's Day and how people might celebrate it, some folks actually will take their greenery, whether it's their tree or wreaths or anything like that, and they'll actually have a bonfire. And that seems a little bit extreme, but here's the reason why. And actually, when I was looking this up, there's a church in New York, the state, that would host uh, an event where people could come and bring all of their live greenery, uh, I suppose, or even fake greenery if they wanted to, but they'll all throw it in. They'll have this huge bonfire in the evening on a cold night, and it's called the Burning of the Greens. And the point of this is to do this on a cold evening, and it represents the warmth and the light of Jesus Christ that he brings into a dark and cold world. So at first it seems a little bit odd, but then when you see the purpose and the reason behind it, you go, that's kind of neat, that's kind of cool. So traditions vary. People look at this uh, a variety of ways. And before we begin to wrap things up with the Christmas season, I mean, this week the decorations, we'll, we'll be bringing all those back into their boxes and putting them away into storage. Today we get one more message focused in on uh, this Christmas message, if you will, called the Christmas bonus. And this is not the Christmas bonus you'll find from the movie Christmas Vacation the one-year membership to the Jelly of the Month Club. Clark, that's the gift that keeps on giving, as they say. Little did we know there's some wisdom from Cousin Eddie and that the gospel is the gift that keeps on giving. And so, with that in mind, this Christmas bonus... You know, we, we go through this Christmas season, and it's a joy. And the way we interact with each other, there's just something about the Christmas season. And as I'm thinking through these things, and, and I talked with Brady about this last week when we were coming home from uh, family Christmas in Illinois, and I, I just was talking about how it's just kind of a bummer when the season's over and, and people start packing all this stuff up and, and we move on into the new year. And, and uh, you know, it's just kind of a letdown And Christmas would be one of our favorite seasons, and I don't know if that is the case for you. And I just kind of appreciate the spirit of Christmas as people are interacting with each other. It seems like there's just this element of grace that people are extending toward one another. And my thought is, why can't we live like that all the time? You know, why does it have to to be just a month? Why can't we have this Christmas bonus where we walk around and we treat people like this year-round. And we have that kind of perspective on how we interact with each other, this gift that keeps, keeps on giving. It starts with Christ and having Him in your life, but then that, that can continue on with how we interact with people each and every day. And so I'm combining this series called The Grace of Giving with this message today. The Bible says that God so loved the world that He gave, or He sent, His only Son. And truly, that is a gift that continues to give. And we recognize that when it comes to the grace of giving, it starts with God's grace. God's grace at work. 
And with that grace in mind, I want to, to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9, but I'm going to give you some background before we get into this passage. In 2 Corinthians 8, the Apostle Paul is writing to Corinthians. These are believers in the city of Corinth. And there's an offering that's going to be taken up for the believers back in Jerusalem. These are people in need, and so Paul's telling them we're going to take up an offering. And then he also tells the Macedonian churches that they're going to take an offering too, and it's for these believers who are in need back in Jerusalem. And in this passage, 2 Corinthians 8, there are several points that Paul makes that talk about how giving is an act of grace. Grace is attached to giving. In 2 Corinthians 8, the Apostle Paul says it's a ministry of generosity. Generosity is a ministry. It's not just something we do. There's, there's meaning, there's significance behind it. He says it's a gracious act. He calls it a gift. And one of the things I want to emphasize is he says that this is something that's of God. So with that in mind, biblical generosity is something that does not come naturally. It comes supernaturally. It is something that God is doing in people's lives, and the Apostle Paul challenges us to abound in this grace. This is a grace of giving. To really emphasize that, Max Licato says, where grace happens, generosity happens. So you, you, you can't have one without the other when it comes to biblical generosity. There's a grace when it comes to giving. And so the verse for the week here from 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9, ties in, and I think this is, this is Christmas in a nutshell. It says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, okay, He was in heaven, and He came to this earth, and it says, For your sakes He became poor, this humble child, born in a humble position, in a humble town would go on to lead a humble life that would come to a very excruciating end. A humiliating end as people might see it. But all for the purpose of redeeming us from sin. It says, for your sakes He became poor so that through His poverty you might become rich. Did you all bring your money bags today? That's not what the Apostle Paul is saying there, is that Christ you know, emptied Himself so that He can fill up your money. That's a spiritual thing. That is a spiritual thing. We go from rags to riches spiritually. And He went the other way around. He went from the riches to the rags so that He could pull us out of these sinful situations. That's the gospel, that's Christmas, right there in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. So I want to look at this example of God's grace working through believers as we move now into 2 Corinthians chapter 9. But before we read this, I just want to have a moment here to pray with each other, asking the Lord to bless this time in the Word. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for this time of worship 
as we look to God Almighty to guide and lead our lives, to speak into our hearts, and we ask for your blessing upon this time. Help our hearts to be in a posture ready to receive and respond to you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and we're starting here in verse 6. The Apostle Paul says, Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. And you must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. Let me just pause here for a second. I'm not going to spring something on you at the end of this service and be like, let's take an offering. Okay? But I do think it's important to look at what God says about giving. And he's talking through this and he says, don't give reluctantly or in pressure uh, or a response to pressure. He says, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. Other translations say God loves a cheerful giver. The word cheerful is a word in which we get the word hilarious. Now, we're not the goofy churches that say laugh while you put your offering in the offering basket, but what this suggests is that God loves a heart that's enthusiastically thrilled with the pleasure of giving. How many of you enjoy giving? Show of hands. All right, there's something fun about that. And what I get from that verse is it, is it tells me that God loves it when His people have fun giving. Not like, oh man, Lord, no, I don't want to do that. Ugh. I mean, we get to join Him. Remember, this is a grace that's from God, not from you. It's from Him. And so when you participate in that and you have fun in that, what do you think your heavenly Father's doing? Look at them having fun, being generous with each other. We should have a ball when it comes to generosity. Verse 8, it says, God will generously provide all that you need. The New King James Version says that God is able to make all grace abound toward you, then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the Scriptures say, and this is quoting Psalm 119 verse, or 112 verse 9, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. Then verse 10, for God is the one who provides seed to the farmer and then bread to eat. And in the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. I want to just point out with verse 10 that God is the one at work through the entire process. He says he gives the farmer seed, and then he also says, and I also give the farmer bread to eat. Who is the one that's providing every step of the way? It's God. And this passage says that God will provide for all of your needs. That's a promise from Scripture. He will not provide all of your wants. Wow, the resounding amen I got on that one. <laughs> he will provide for all of your needs. And I want to tell you this. He knows what you need more than you do. And He will provide. 
And I want to be careful here that I'm not preaching some prosperity gospel that if you just throw a bunch of money in the offering or whatever, that the, you're just going to be tripled that by March. Okay? But there is a biblical principle here that, that the Apostle Paul is speaking through the power of the Holy Spirit. I mean, you can't take a verse like this that says God's going to make grace abound in you, but here's the thing. It's not always in material blessings. There's things going on that sometimes we have no idea. There's spiritual blessings. And most importantly, there can be eternal blessings. Now how can one receive eternal blessings? I want to look at the words of Jesus to answer that question. This is from Luke 16, verse 9. These are words from Jesus, and I love this verse. Jesus says, use your worldly resources. Notice how he called them worldly. Not eternal, they're worldly. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. He says, then when your possessions are gone, and, and, and here's the thing, this is not Jesus saying, give all your stuff away and make a bunch of friends, and then when you've ran out of resources, what Jesus is saying there is there's a certain point where all of us are going to take our last breath here on earth, and I want you to understand something. You cannot take your resources with you when you die. You can throw it all in the casket but it's not going with you. So what Jesus is trying to say is, when you die, they will welcome you to an eternal home. My resources will welcome me? No. The people that you blessed will welcome you in heaven someday. Isn't that a powerful verse? So as I embrace this grace that God is doing in my life and I begin to be generous with people, here's something going on that I don't think we fully realize, is that when we participate in the grace of giving, it's impacting people's lives to a point where I might make a difference in them spiritually. Perhaps I plant a seed, hey, sowing and reaping, and we may never know that person. We might just feel led to give or, or whatever, and then later on, they, through that act of grace, they warm up to the idea of God and that He's good, and then they find out there's a Jesus who wants to redeem them from their sin, and they come to faith in Christ. Imagine when you take your last breath and you walk into heaven, and there's a whole group of people there with Jesus to welcome you, and after you have your moment with Christ, Jesus begins to introduce you to these people who are there because you responded to the grace of giving. Isn't that powerful? I mean, you think about this. Maybe you feel like the Holy Spirit saying, I need to give to some missionary or organization that's in a whole other country, and you don't even see those people. But you respond out of love and compassion that God has placed in your life, and you show up to heaven, and there's all kinds of people there to welcome you and say, because you gave, I'm here. You equipped that missionary to share 
the gospel with me. This is a way bigger deal. This is huge. A.W. Tozer says that any temporal possession can be turned into everlasting wealth. Then I love this part. Whatever is given to Christ is immediately touched with immortality. So in Luke 16 when he says your worldly possessions, your worldly resources, you can make those eternal. And what I get out of that is, is give them to Jesus and watch what he can do. The enemy, Satan, hates the grace of giving. He hates it so much. Here's a few reasons why. I started by saying that God gave Jesus to the world and it crushed Satan. Amen? Yeah. He hates Jesus with a passion. And his fate is sealed. And he hates it when people get involved in this grace of giving. Because it could potentially lead people to salvation, which means it's one less person that he has. And it grows the kingdom of God. He hates that. God taking territory from him. And one thing that generosity and giving does, there's something going on in the giver. You know, like, how many of you have ever heard of the word pride or selfishness, right? And I think for some worldly reason that what's in Russell and Brady's bank account is Russell and Brady's. What a demonic thought. Those are God's resources. And I'm a steward. They don't belong to me. They belong to Him. And when I choose to participate in the grace of giving, it's working out of me the pride and the selfishness that want to hang on to that stuff. And Satan hates it when God's working selfishness and pride out of us. And one of the major reasons why Satan hates giving is because it glorifies God. And so here's a a question. Who should giving glorify? Any guesses out there? God. Man, I don't know about you. This is the selfishness and pride thing. Okay, But if sometimes if I give to somebody, it's so nice to hear them say thank you. Anybody with me on that? Okay? <laughs> Just me? Ooh. Okay. All right. Well then, let's pray. Uh, but in our selfishness, we give, and then it feels good to have them say, hey, hey, thanks for that. But what if, what if all we wanted to hear was that person say, thank you, God, for this gift I just received. Paul goes on to speak to this, verses 11 through 14. 
He affirms, he says, yes, you'll be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. It says, and when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. They might get out their feather and dip it in ink and write them a letter. Thank you for helping us. They might do that. But one of the greatest things that could result from generosity is that whoever you gave to glorifies God and draws them closer to God. Verse 12, so two good things will result from this ministry of giving. The needs of the believers, they're met in Jerusalem, and they'll joyfully express their thanks, saying it again, to God. Two verses in a row. Who are they thanking? Not the Corinthians. They're thanking God. And then verse 13. As a result of your ministry, they will give glory to who? To God. Not to you. To God, who it belongs. It says... For your generosity to them and to all believers will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Christ. Then in verse 14, and they will pray for you with deep affection because of the overflowing grace that God has given you. Again, calling this a grace. And then it says, thank God for this gift too wonderful for words. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 19, if you go back to the previous chapter, Paul says as we take up this offering for Jerusalem, he says that that act is a service that glorifies the Lord. So we know that the grace of giving gives glory to who it's due, and that is God and God alone. Who should our giving glorify? It should glorify God. And I want to make this point. People should see God in our giving. Not you. They should see God. And I had a story here that was sent to me this week from Chuck Swindoll, and I want to read this to you. Driving this point home of people seeing God in our giving. It says, shortly after World War II came to a close... Europe began picking up the pieces. And much of the old country had been ravaged by war and was in ruins. And perhaps the saddest sight of all was that of a little orphaned children starving in the streets of those war-torn cities. And early one chilly morning, an American soldier was making his way back to the barracks in London and as he turned the corner in his jeep, he spotted a little lad with his nose pressed to the window of a pastry shop. And inside, the cook was kneading dough for a fresh batch of donuts. And the hungry boy stared in silence, watching every move of the cook. And the soldier pulled his jeep to the curb, and he stopped, and he got out, and he walked quietly over to the wor where the little boy was standing. And through the steamed-up window, he could see the mouth-watering morsels being pulled from the oven. They were piping hot. And the boy salivated and released a slight groan as he watched the cook place them onto the glass-enclosed counter ever so carefully. 
And the soldier's heart went out to this nameless orphan as he stood beside him. And the soldier said to the little boy, he said, son, would you like one of those? And the boy was startled. And he said, oh yeah, I would. So the American steps inside and he bought a dozen of them. And he put them in a bag and walked back to where the lad was standing in the foggy cold of the London morning. And the soldier smiled. He held out the bag and he simply said, here you are. And as he turned to walk away, he felt a tug on his coat. And he looked back and he heard the the little boy asked quietly, he says, Mr., are you God? We are never more like God than when we give. God so loved the world that he gave. People should see God in our giving. The picture you see here on the screen is of American soldiers having a Christmas party for orphans during World War II. What an opportunity to show them the love of God. And what a grace that continues to give beyond Christmas is that God our Father is taking in orphans every day. Spiritual orphans as they come to our Heavenly Father and they ask for Christ to enter into their life, they join the family of God because of the grace of generosity. Let all giving point back to the one who is gracing it the entire way from start to finish. And really, that resembles epiphany. God manifesting or revealing himself through people who are giving. Let Christmas, let King's Day live year-round as we minister in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me as we close? Father, we thank you for this time in your word, and we thank you for your grace extended toward us through Jesus Christ. Lord, let that grace be at work in our lives. There's people listening right now that if they evaluate their own spiritual journey, my question to all of us is, have you experienced God's gift of salvation? That is the foundation of all giving is receiving God's greatest gift to you. And if you would desire to receive Christ into your life right now, I want to pray with you. And I'm asking that you would just pray with me in your heart in receiving this gift of Jesus. Simply say, Jesus, I want you in my life. And I come to you recognizing that you are Lord and you are Savior. And I want that to be true in my life. So today I'm asking for forgiveness of my sin. 
that separates me from you. Please forgive me, cleanse me, and make me new. Today I receive that gift of salvation that was sent from heaven, from our Father. Thank you for saving me. And Father, for all of us listening, help us to live in this perpetual Christmas bonus and having fun with the grace of giving. Lord, work out of us any pride and selfishness that would cause us to pause and not participate in the ministry that you desire for us to experience. And I pray that we would all understand that as we participate in the grace of giving, there is something very supernatural going on when we give in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we recognize, Lord, that you are the one gracing things from start to finish. It is not about us. When we give help, one of the most amazing things that we could ever hear would be out of the mouth of people saying, I want to bless the Lord. And thank you, Lord, for it's all about you. We want you to be glorified. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.